Hey, Fellowship family. On behalf of our elders and staff, I want to express gratitude to all of you for your patience and encouragement during the pandemic. It was an unprecedented time for all of us. And though the disease is still with us, it seems we can see the light at the end of the tunnel. As the elders made difficult decisions on behalf of our church, seeking the leadership of the Holy Spirit, they guided us well through the process and kept both you and our staff safe. And speaking of our staff, they have done a phenomenal job providing live stream content for adults, students, and children. And now they're working hard to open services again to try and get us back to a sense of normal. But a friend reminded me this week as I mentioned the word normal, that normal is a setting on your clothes dryer. And he's right. I'm not sure normal should be our goal. God wants more for us than that. However, we are back to in-person services and we want you to be back. Live streaming of services will continue to be a convenience for us when we are traveling or aren't feeling well, but it isn't the best option nor what God intended for the body of Christ on a regular basis. We need to be together, worshiping, praying, studying God's word weekly, both in community and in corporate worship celebrations. I was out of town recently over a weekend and it was great to be able to attend fellowship services virtually. But doing so will never replace the community, collaboration, and culture of worshiping together as a body. We also need volunteers to work in our children's ministries. Get in there and invest your lives in our kids. We shouldn't have to close classes because we don't have enough workers. Our church finances took a hit as well during COVID. And I hope each of us this week will examine our giving to God through fellowship to help us accomplish God's vision and mission for our church. We need to catch up to where we were this time last year or maybe even exceed it. Remember, we can't outgive God who has given so generously to us. One last thing. It seems our nation has never been more divided and certainly never more so in so many different directions. Fellowship Bible Church should be a lighthouse of hope and unity in our community and in our world. We are bound by a common purpose based on the truth of scripture and we will never waver from that foundation. When everything seems chaotic, let us be rock steady because we know our God is in control, come what may. He is able to do abundantly more than we could ever ask or imagine. So let's keep our eyes fixed on him. Let's love well and let people see Christ in us. God bless. Good morning, Fellowship. If you are new or visiting with us this morning, we're so glad you're with us. At Fellowship, we really want to follow Jesus 
and his commands. And the, one of the biggest ones he gave us was to go and make disciples of all nations, right? Around here, we like to say to produce and release spiritual leaders who know and express the authentic Christ to Northwest Arkansas and the world. And we also know that the church is made up of all kinds of people. And all these different kinds of people need to be produced and released to express the authentic Christ in all kinds of ways, unique ways. And one unique way and one unique people group is the arts and artists. And so over the last several years, um, songwriters, storytellers, musicians, uh, audio technicians, graphics people, videographers, all of these people and more have been growing in our expression of the authentic Christ or our worship, if you will. We've been growing in that expression uh, through a ministry that we call fellowship worship. It's a cross-congregational um, worship ministry. And so um, fellowship worship is putting out new music. It's a big deal to us, okay? Um, so we're putting out this new um, project. It's called Found in You, and it's three songs that you know because we've sung them the last maybe two or three years around here or some of them that long. And um, so we've, we've had some of you come and say, hey, where can I find that song? I've been looking for that song. I can't find it. We can't find it because it's an original song written by songwriters here. And, uh, but now you can find it because we're putting it out. And so we hope it's a resource that gives voice to your worship uh, here at Fellowship to Northwest Arkansas and the world. And so we have two different versions of each of these songs that we're releasing. So it gets kind of complicated. It's like everything at Fellowship, right? It's pretty complicated. So um, we have a stage version, which we recorded right here on the stage uh, in, a, in a video format that we're currently releasing on YouTube. Um, two of the songs are already out on our YouTube channel. Um, one is coming on Friday. And then we also have a studio version of each song that we'll be releasing soon as well. And so uh, I'd love to draw on and on and bore you uh, with all the things that I'm excited about with Fellowship Worship and this project. But I'd like to just simply point you to our YouTube channel for a first um, blush uh, move for you. So go to our YouTube channel, subscribe to Fellowship Worship there, um, enjoy the videos, comments, shares, all that stuff helps get it out to other churches to resource them as well. And so appreciate that. Um, okay, enough of my spiel. This morning, we are back in our Hebrews series. And um, just to catch us up, so far we've learned that Jesus is our high priest. Now what does that mean? It simply means that he gives us access to God. He connects us to God. He is our high priest. So remember in John 14 when he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus alone is our mediator. And back in the Old Testament times, they had this elaborate system of sacrifices and priests and all of these things set up to make sure that they were good with God and that God was good with them. And Jesus steps in and he says, no guys, it's always been about the heart. It's always been at a heart level that God is concerned. 
He wants truth in the inward most being. This is the God we serve. So in essence, he stands in and he says, you've heard it said that God wants to be appeased by religious acts. But I say to you, God wants relationship through repentance and trust. And then Jesus not only preaches it, he lives it out. And he becomes the final sacrifice, the sacrifice to end all sacrifices. And then he was raised to life so that he eternally is our high priest. And by his spirit who lives in us, we're the temple of God now. We have direct connection with God because of Jesus and his, and his spirit. That's the good news. Isn't that good news? That's the God that we serve. So in light of that, let's stand together and read this from the end of Hebrews 7. Will you read it with me? The word of the Lord here. Jesus is the one who guarantees a better covenant with God. There were many priests under the old system, for death prevented them from remaining in office. But because Jesus lives forever, his priesthood lasts forever. Therefore, he is able once and forever to save those who come to God through him. He lives forever to intercede with God on our, our behalf. Amen. Before the throne of God above, I have a strong, a perfect plea, a great high priest whose name is love, whoever lives and for me, my name is graven on his hands, my name is written on his heart, I know that while in heaven he stands, no tongue can give me depart, no tongue can give me depart, when Satan tempts.
double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. The eyes of him whom we must give account. If you were to look into those eyes, what do you think you would see? You would see mercy. You would see compassion. You would see a loving Father. That's what you would see if we were to just look. But it's such a vulnerable thing to look someone in the eye. Maybe there's some shame that's attached to that for you this morning. Maybe there's some regrets, things done or left undone. God invites you to look up, look in his eyes. There's love, there's forgiveness there. So over these next couple of minutes as we sing this song of confession, make it personal this morning. Look in his eyes. Give him the things that that you need to give him this morning. Let him minister to you. Sweet. 
God, that's our desire to be pure and holy. Thank you, Jesus, that you made a way to know God. Thank you that you are God. Enlighten our eyes right now, the eyes of our hearts. God, I pray for sensitivity, for good listening ears. Uh, and for your truth to not only shape our minds, but shape our hearts, our wills. Um, thank you for your word. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, there needed to be a shift in my thinking. 
You see, I, I, I needed things to change. I had to think differently. We had just returned from our honeymoon many, many years ago, and we were loading up everything we owned into my 1993 Ford Explorer, and we were headed south. So we were moving to Fort Walton Beach, Florida for the next two months. I, I was finishing up my job with a college ministry where I was going to help run their summer discipleship training project. So our, our first home was going to be the Sandman Motel in Fort Walton Beach, and it wasn't pretty. And so we were loading up everything we owned, and, <clears throat> and my wife asked me a question. She said, my new bride, she said, should we bring a set of our china with us? I didn't know how to answer it, and honestly, I didn't care. And I realized at that point that I could no longer think for one, I needed to think for two. That the days of, 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 of driving around in my Explorer with a, a, a jar of peanut butter and a loaf of bread in the back, and when, when money got tight, that's what I ate, and a good night, we had a little jelly with it. That, that, those days were over. There needed to be a change in the way that I thought because a, 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 nothing wrong with bachelorhood. There's nothing wrong with singleness. Matter of fact, it's strategic as we've talked about before. But when you're married and you live like a single person, that's not a good thing. There needed to be a shift in my thinking. And I think that's where we find the writer of Hebrews, uh, what he's trying to communicate. It's not about marriage, but what it's about is that the, they're trying to go back to an old way of living. And he's saying that's not appropriate. You're, 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 like, a bat, you're like someone who's married trying to live like a bachelor, that you're under a new dispensation, you're under a new covenant, and you're trying to live under an old covenant, and it doesn't make any sense. Here's where we're headed this morning. Here's the big idea. The new covenant actually accomplishes what the old covenant could only foreshadow. You see, in Jesus, God accomplishes in this, this new covenant what the old covenant could only hint towards, could only foreshadow. Our, our text this morning is the book of Hebrews, and chapter 8 of Hebrews, and verse 6 actually outlines it for us, I think. Look with me, if you would, to verse 6 of chapter 8 of Hebrews. It says this, but in fact, the ministry Jesus has received is as superior to theirs as the covenant of which he is mediator is superior to the old one, since the new covenant is established on better promises. And here's what we're going to see. The new covenant is a better covenant that, that has a better mediator, a better high priest in Jesus, who has a better ministry and a better sanctuary, and it's all founded on better promises. So if you would, turn your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 8. Let's start in verse 1, where we see that Jesus is our better mediator. He, the author says this, Now the main point of what we are saying is this, We do have such a high priest. We do have a high priest. It must be a pretty important thing he's saying here because he's, he's saying this is the main thing. He's actually going back several chapters. We're going to look just a few verses back, but he's, he's saying the main point of what we're saying is this. We do have this high priest. He's bringing the argument to a pinnacle. The priest's role in the Old Testament was to, to represent the people to God. To be a mediator between God and humanity. And, and under the, the old covenant that we know as the law um, that was given to Moses on Mount Sinai after God's people left the bondage in Egypt, the old covenant was given on, to Moses on Mount Sinai. And it spelled out how God's people were to live. 
and how in the land that God had given them, they, they were to live by the law. And, and even more specifically, how the, the priests were to operate, that how the priest was to dress and how they were to, to offer sacrifices and, and when to do it. And, and even it spelled out, laid out how the temple or the, uh, the tabernacle should be built. It's very specific in Exodus chapter 24, 25, 26. And last week, Nick talked us through that he said that that Christ wasn't of the Levitical priesthood, the earthly priesthood, that there's this other priesthood. Remember Melchizedek? And he's this mysterious Old Testament figure who, it seems like he kind of just shows up on the scene with Abraham. And Abraham, the father of, of, of the Hebrew faith, that Abraham gives him incredible respect gives him a tithe, and this Melchizedek is not only a king, he's also a priest, which, which really shouldn't be possible, but he is this, and then he, he kind of disappears as quickly as he appears. And, and, and what we learned last week is Jesus is of this, this priesthood, this mysterious, this, this perfect priesthood of Melchizedek, and Jesus is not of the Levitical priesthood. And so what the writer of Hebrews is trying to communicate is, hey, there needs to be a shift in your thinking. You're not to go back to this old covenant kind of living. For context, we back up a few verses to verse 25 in Hebrews chapter 7, and it says this. Therefore, he is able to save completely those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them. That Jesus is able to save those who come to God through him because he lives to intercede for them. If you've ever wondered Hey, what's Jesus doing now? What's Jesus doing after his death on the cross? It, it appears like that he, he lives to intercede for those who believe in him. He's, he's the mediator right now. He's also such a high priest that truly meets our need. And then what the author does is he goes on to list these, these characteristics or these qualities of Jesus as high priest that the earthly Levitical priest could never pull off. You see, he's, he's holy, blameless, pure, set apart from sinners. He's exalted above the heavens. And then it goes on in verse 27 to say, unlike other high priests, unlike the earthly high priest, he does not need to offer sacrifices day after day, first for his own sins and then for the sins of the people. He sacrificed for their sins once for all when he offered himself. You see, Jesus is a better mediator but he's also a better sacrifice. He, he, was, he doesn't need to offer sacrifices over and over because he's sinless. The, 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 the Levitical earthly human priests, they had to offer sacrifices for their sins and also for the sins of the people. And there's no way those animals were really gonna take care of, of forgiveness of sin. It was just this outward covering. We'll see more about that in the future. But, but Jesus was able to offer once for all the righteous for the unrighteous to bring you and me to God. So Jesus is a better mediator. We pick up the passage in verse, in Hebrews chapter eight, verse two. We see he's a better mediator, not only because of all of what we just read, but also he, he, we see we do have such a high priest who sat down at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven. You see, after Jesus died on the cross, He went to heaven and he's seated at the right hand of God. And you know what he's doing? He's interceding for us. He's mediating between God. He's actually being the high priestly role. The writer of Hebrews captures this in the first 
few verses of Hebrews, if you remember back, he said this, after he had provided for purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. After he died on the cross, he went to heaven where he now intercedes for us. And in Psalm 110, kind of the same thing. The Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool to your feet. Not only is he seated at the right hand, we also see in verse two, he's also serving in the sanctuary, the true tabernacle set up by the Lord, not by a mere human being. That he's a better mediator because he has this, this, this better sanctuary. And we'll learn more about that in just a few minutes. But he's, he's actually, he's not in the earthly tabernacle. He's in this heavenly tabernacle and he's serving there. And it's not set up by a human, it's set up by the Lord. So that leads us to our second thing. Not only is he a, a better mediator, he also a, has a better ministry. Look at verse three. Every high priest is appointed to offer both gifts and sacrifices. And so it was necessary for this one also to have something to offer. Now th- that seems a little flippant. It seems like, okay, the Levitical earthly priests, they, they gave these daily sacrifices over and over, and there was a yearly sacrifice, all these things they were supposed to do. And this, well, shouldn't Jesus have something to offer too as the, the high priest? Yes, he had the perfect offering. The king became the servant. The, the high priest became the perfect sacrifice. You can't make this stuff up. No human mind was creative enough to do this, that that Jesus became the perfect sacrifice. The eternal high priest became the final sacrifices. There's no need to live in this old covenant kind of way. But for some reason, they were drawn over and over to that. When When things got tough, they wanted to go back to the way things used to be. Look at verse four. If he, Jesus, were on earth, he would not be a priest, for there are already priests who offer gifts prescribed by the law. He's not this earthly priest. He doesn't need to offer sacrifices for his own sins because he has no sins. He doesn't need to offer sins over and over for the people's sins because he is the sacrifice once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, better mediator under a better covenant, a better ministry. And then now we're going to see he serves in a better sanctuary. And I think this will be pretty enlightening for you, and it has been for me, and it's pretty powerful. Look at verse five. They, the, the Old Testament Levitical priests, they serve in a sanctuary that is a copy and shadow of what is in heaven. This is why Moses warned, was warned when he was about to build the tabernacle, see to it that you make everything according to the pattern shown you on the mountain, okay? So Moses was given the instructions to build the tabernacle. I think it's in Exodus chapter 25, verse 40, is this quote. And in in Exodus 24, 25, 26, he's given the pattern of how to build the tabernacle. It It says exactly how to do it. And there's this tent and there's this courtyard and exactly how things are supposed to go. But then you look at the earlier part of this verse and it says that that sanctuary, that tabernacle is a copy It's a shadow of what is in heaven. You see, think about it as a copy. That it was it was it was to emulate what's up down here is what to emulate up here. But not only is it a copy, it's actually just a hint. It's a shadow. It pales in comparison to what's going on up here. Don't get so concerned about this thing because this thing is pointing, it's foreshadowing that thing. It reminds me. 
of our family, we love to go on vacations. Um, we love to save up money and go somewhere. We've been taking our kids as they get old enough and have their teenage years. We take them to New York City. And we, I love to show them the Central Park and show them Broadway and, and all the big buildings. It's so different than Northwest Arkansas. But my favorite thing is, is when we take the boat and you go to the Statue of Liberty. And as you get closer and closer, it becomes more and more majestic. I think I got, yeah, look at that picture. Isn't that incredible? You know where that's from? Fayetteville. No disrespect to that statue. I'm sure it's awesome. A friend of mine took that picture. I think it's by Washington Regional. But what if, I, what if our youngest son, he hadn't been to see it yet. What if I took him and said, hey, buddy, we're not going to go to New York. It's kind of expensive. We're actually going to go to Fayetteville, maybe stop by Rice Barbecue on the way. And here it is. He'd be like, no, it's not majestic at all. It's a copy, isn't it? It, it pales in comparison or we've also been talking about going to see the Eiffel Tower. Some of our family has seen it. Some of our family hadn't. But what if I said, hey, we're not going to go to Paris. Let's go to Vegas instead. <laughs> we'll catch the $64 Allegiant flight. Here's the Eiffel Tower. It's the same thing. You didn't know there were casinos in the background, did you? It pales in comparison. After the last service, a guy came up and showed me, apparently, Paris, Texas has an Eiffel Tower. Some people are nodding their head. It's red, I guess. I don't know. That'd been a great example too. But, but that's what he's saying. This, this is a copy of the real thing. This is, it pales in comparison. It's a shadow. I think I've got a, a drawing or a rendering of what the tabernacle would have looked like. That these specific instructions that Moses got, that they were supposed to build a tabernacle, they would actually move it at times. That, that tent um, actually had a, two rooms, had a holy, a holy place and then the most holy place. And only the high priest once a year entered the Holy of Holies. It was very specific on how they were to approach God. And we're gonna see how in the new covenant, all that's changed. That when Jesus died on the cross, when the, when the curtain was ripped, everything changed. Later on, the tabernacle became the temple. Solomon built a temple. Um, it, it was very similar to the tabernacle, just a permanent structure, had a holy place and a most holy place. Same thing with the priests entering the most holy place. That, that, that temple was torn down, another one was rebuilt. The writer of Hebrews during that time would have, would have been referring to that, that, that next temple, and which, as we know, if the dates are correct, the way we understand it, that temple was torn down shortly after Hebrews was written. So he's saying, hey, don't go back to that temple living. You're under a new Covenant. So I got a question for you. Where's the temple today? Where's the temple in the new covenant? Now, some people might say the church. You know, and maybe. Uh, let's look at what the Apostle Paul said about the temple to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. The temple and the new covenant is you. It's me. It's those who believe in Christ. You're a temple of the Holy Spirit. Now, that doesn't mean people should worship you. That means we should go and be God's representatives, temples to the watching world. So who's the New Testament priest? Jesus' good friend and disciple Peter says this, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, 
God's special possession that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. Kind of sounds like the last couple years, doesn't it? We've been called out of darkness and into his light, that, that you are a chosen people. If you're here today and you are a believer in Christ, you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, that there's no more need for the Levitical priest because you and me, we're it. We're representatives to God's, to the watching world. There's no need for a high priest anymore. Better covenant that has a better mediator with a better ministry performed in a better sanctuary. And then we see the fourth one here on better promises. Look at verse six. But in fact, the ministry Jesus has received is as superior to theirs as the covenant of which he is mediator is superior to the old one since the new covenant is established on better promises. There's these, these foundational promises. Now, what he's going to do is he's going to take a time out. The next few verses, he's going to explain why the new covenant's better than the old covenant, and then he's going to come back to these promises. Look at verse 7. For if there had been nothing wrong with that first covenant, no place would have been sought for nothing, another. Now, you say, wait a minute, John. You said there wasn't anything wrong with the first covenant. Well, there's not, and there is. You see, what's wrong with it is the, the sin of the people, and that the, the covenant is limited, it is temporary. It probably would have been, a good name for it would have been the interim covenant. The, the final covenant, the interim covenant. The old and new. It's not, it's not that everything new is better because if something else came along that somebody wanted to call new, it wouldn't be better. This is the final covenant. You have the old covenant, new covenant. Interim covenant, final covenant. It reminds me when I was a kid, growing up in a kind of traditional Christian church, our longtime pastor retired. And guess what we got? an interim pastor. And I remember even my parents talking about it. He wouldn't make any decisions. He'd come up and he'd preach and he'd, he'd always say, oh, that's for the next guy because he was a temporary pastor. The, the permanent pastor was coming. It's a better covenant. Look at verse eight. But God found fault with the people and said, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt because they did not remain faithful to my covenant. And I turned away from them, declares the Lord. Over and over and over in scripture, God communicates through covenants. We see this from early on, the Abrahamic covenant, the Mosaic covenant, which is the old covenant, the Davidic covenant, and then all the way to the new covenant. And some of those covenants are conditional. Some of them are unconditional. The old covenant was conditional that they needed to meet some regulations in order, they had to obey in order to, for blessing. The new covenant is unconditional. The Lord said, this is what I'm gonna do. And he invites us to join him in it. And the key word there is new. If you'll see in verse eight, that is actually a quote, begins a long quote from Jeremiah chapter 31, verses 31 through 34. I know it's the longest quote from the Old Testament in the New Testament. I think it may be, or in the book of Hebrews, it may be in the whole New Testament, the longest quote. It is a fascinating piece of scripture because what he says is, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant. This is 600 plus years before Jesus comes and dies on the cross. That God is saying, there's a new thing coming. 
He's predicting this. It's, it's not that the old covenant, you know, it's, it, things were messed up. He knew when he made the old covenant that the new covenant was coming. And the author begins to quote Jeremiah chapter 31. And then here come these better promises in verse 10. This is the covenant I will establish with my people, with the people of Israel at that time, declares the Lord. I will put my laws in their minds and write them on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will they teach their neighbor and say to one another, know the Lord because they will all know me from the least of them to the greatest. For I will forgive their wickedness and remember their sins no more. So in this quote of Jeremiah, he gives basically four promises for the new covenant that'll happen. The first one says, I will put my laws in their minds and write them on their hearts. I want you to think about this for a minute. Where was the old covenant law written? On stone tablets. And he's, he's saying that's going to be different. It's going to be an outward, moving from an outward to an inward. He said, now it's going to be written on your heart. Ezekiel 36 captures this. He says, I will write them on their hearts. Their heart, their, I'm sorry. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. You see this, this Holy Spirit coming is a part of this, that the, the Old Testament priest is being removed and that there'll be this direct communication with God in the power of the Holy Spirit. Second promise, I will be their God and they will be my people. He says this over and over throughout the Old Testament in Scripture. But it's interesting here with Jeremiah prophesying that, that it's going to be a closer relationship, a growing relationship. The third one, no longer will they teach their neighbor or say to one another, know the Lord, because they will all know me from the least of them to the greatest. You know, it seems like he's saying here that everyone's going to know God and there will be this general knowledge. There is more of this general knowledge. But it goes back to that Holy Spirit knowledge that, that, that you will be able to communicate. You will be able to, the, the, the divider's been, been taken away that in the old covenant, the priest entered the Holy of Holies. The priest was the conduit. In the new covenant, you are the priest. You're able to approach God through the power of the Holy Spirit with Jesus being our high priest, our mediator in heaven. And then the fourth promise, and I think all, this is foundational for all of them in verse 12, I will forgive their wickedness and remember their sins no more. Aren't you glad for that one? Even told back in 600 years before Jesus came that, that, that there, there would be a, no more remembrance of sin, that this, this outer covering of, of the animals, that wasn't it, that there was this covering of a perfect sacrifice, that God was gonna come down from heaven, he was gonna give his son, he was gonna die on the cross, that the perfect priest would be the perfect sacrifice, that the, the king would be the servant, and everything would change. And everything in the old covenant pointed towards that. So where do we go with that? Well, I'll close with this. We as believers, we are believers under the new covenant who are part of a new covenant church. We believe that Jesus is the great mediator. And because of him, we are able to have this, this relationship, this new covenant relationship with God. And in the new covenant, the temple is not a place. It's a people. And we are the new covenant temple of God and, and, we are, and the believers are also priests in this new covenant. 
Our job as new covenant people of God in the most basic of forms, maybe too basic, is to gather, is to grow, and is to go. That's what the church is supposed to do. We're supposed to gather, just like we're doing here, shoulder to shoulder, face to face in small groups, with your family, with friends, uh, challenging each other, encouraging us with the scripture, growing on your own, your personal study with God, and then we're to go. And I think that's what the new covenant's all about. It's about going. You're to go to your neighbor, you're to go to your friend, you're to go to your coworker, you're to go to the parents of, of your other kids' ball team members, and you're to have that, that, that kind of awkward conversation and say, well, let me tell you about my story. And you step out in faith, and sometimes it doesn't go very well, and sometimes it does. And fellowship, now more than ever, we are to be the people of God who are going and preaching and praising God. It's time. You know, this last year has been difficult in so many ways for so many of us. I know we face challenges, some even more than others. Um, for me, one of the things that ministered to me the most is kind of what Seth talked about earlier, that Fellowship's Worship Collective, they, they put together some songs. Uh, I know many of you have seen the Izzy Worthy video. I think it was viewed like 1.2 million times. Isn't that amazing? I think I watched 600,000 times, so I was about half of those. Uh, but it ministered to me. I just, I'd weep seeing our people worship as we're all kind of staying home and seeing different people from our church body singing, it just, it just brought me to tears. And then, then they did this other project, and I don't know um, if as many people saw it, but it's, it was a, a bunch of local worship leaders from different churches, and it's the song, Great Are You, Lord, and we're going to sing it in just a moment. And all these worship leaders from churches came together, and I think with our, with our fellowship leadership team kind of leading the way, they, they had worship leaders, different worship leaders sing different parts of the song. It, it's so powerful. And you're just thinking about, we are the body of Christ. It's not just us as a local expression of the church, that, that we're the body of Christ. And together, we are to reach Northwest Arkansas and the world. And these worship leaders are coming together and singing this song, Great Are You, Lord. It's so powerful. I wept in that too. And, but there's this line in the song that says this. It says, it's your breath and our lungs, so we pour out our praise. And I remember during a time during the pandemic when things were not going well in the country and I was discouraged. I think it may have even been during that, that uh, remember the ice storm that came in February? And it was just, man, it was so discouraging. It was just, we were already locked in and they were locked in even more. And I remember thinking, yeah, it, it's, it's our breath and our lungs that's making each other sick. This is terrible. And then I looked at the lyrics, and it said, it's his breath in our lungs. So we pour out our praise. See, God puts his breath in our lungs so that we may preach him and we may praise him. And that's how we're going to close the service today. We're going to give you the opportunity to praise him. And it's going to be a little different. We're going to have the worship leaders from all over Northwest Arkansas through this video, Lead Us in Worship. Um, it's going to feel a little different. If you need to just have a time where you close your eyes and listen, or if you want to watch, you can do that. I encourage you, if you know the, know the song, sing along. If you want to stand up and just raise your hands, because fellowship, we're back, and the gospel's going out, and we've got to decide how we're going to fit into this new covenant ministry. And I know there's lots of vacations happening this summer. Apparently, Destin's all booked. It's hard to find a place, but we're coming back. And as the summer goes on, what you're going to feel at this church is a, a pointed focus on the gospel and reaching Northwest Arkansas. When we hit August, 
You better put on your seatbelt because it's gonna be fun to be around here and we want you to be the gospel ministers of Jesus Christ that preach him and praise him. Will you join us as we worship?
we're going to take communion and end our service today together with the body and the blood. His breath fills us with praise. Now we need to take his breath and, and, and preach his gospel to the watching world. There's a lot of hurting people out there. And we live in a new covenant. Jesus gathered his disciples around on the night he was betrayed. And he, he took the bread and he broke it and he gave it to his disciples. And he said, this is my body broken for you. Take In the same way he took the cup and he said this is the new covenant in my blood and whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup you need to do this in remembrance of me take and drink fellowship we live in a new covenant in a new era under the blood of Jesus Christ and we are his temples of the Holy Spirit. We are the believer priests who not only need to praise him with our breath, but also preach him to the world. God bless you, fellowship. Have a great week.